what's different about living this way that I'm living now versus before, my days are way longer. Yes. My time is way slower. Yeah. I'm not in that routine washing machine to where time speeds by and 20 years go by. I don't know what next week, I don't even know what a couple days from now really looks like. <laughs> Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Greetings from Canada, fellow human. I am back on Canadian soil for the first time in about a year and a half, and shocking, it's really friggin' cold. Um, <laughs> you'd think by May things would be improving, but uh, it's not. So we are definitely not in Thailand anymore, but I'm happy to be back, and I'm happy this week to be sharing part two of my conversation with Mr. Sam Lawrence. Sam is a friend of mine. He's a tech entrepreneur. He is a consultant, does a whole lot of interesting work, but as usual today, we don't talk about any of that <laughs> serious uh, career kind of stuff. We focus today, we actually focus in this discussion a lot on parenting, which we haven't talked a lot about it in this uh, podcast, but is a topic that I'm increasingly interested in as my friends start having kids and as I start thinking more seriously about entering that period of my life. So... I really enjoyed today's conversation talking about parenting. We also talk a lot about long-distance relationships, which again, I found really actually very useful, very inspiring. Sam talks a lot about a process called unschooling, which I was very curious to learn more about, very intriguing new way of educating young people. I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation. Of course, it'll make a lot more sense if you listen to this part two of this conversation after you listen to part one. So if you want to hear the first half of this conversation, go back and listen to episode 25 first. Before we get into it, I'll remind you that ratings and reviews are really super important for any podcast to get off the ground, including this one. So if you dig Humans in Love, please let others know about it, share the episode with a friend or two, and even more important than that, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Without any further ado, a very chilly Zachary Stockhill bringing you my conversation with Mr. Sam Lawrence. Let, let's start with those questions. Those were good questions. You're doing my work for me. So what, what did you what did you say? What did you leave behind? Why did you leave it behind? What are you looking for? Yeah. Because you were mentioning earlier, actually, I was going to come back to this anyway, that it seems like you had some clarity about what you want your life to be like, yeah. and that must be really nice. So, like, what, what what does Sam Lawrence want in 2019? In 2019, in 2019, I I want to be in a neutral zone, um, which means I don't have a home. Um, my home is I'm you know I'm gonna keep switching locations. I've already been to since January. It's now May, beginning of May, um, seven or eight different countries. Um, this year, in this this whole year, I plan to move around as much as I possibly can. Um, that that's more frequently more frequent when it's just me than when I'm in tow with uh, April and Gray because um, it's too hard. But 
um, I want to I want to basically just go and, and watch what's happening um, in as many places as I can. And part of it is also in search for like where might I have a part time place um, to be. Um, so that's one thing that I'm really looking for. Um, I've already learned that uh, some important lessons, which are that um, unlike the first time I traveled around when I was in my 20s, information, the speed of information has changed. And so people are um, using that, that conformity mechanism people use across borders now in ways that I didn't see the first time I traveled around. So when you now go into these other countries, the malls, the, the food, the, the music, the, um, the Instagram effect, the, all of that stuff is everywhere you go. I mean, it's, it's basically the same. So it's sitting here in Chiang Mai. I mean, it's like a version of Austin, Texas, uh, or Portland, Oregon, um, people speak a different language. You know, there may be some slight differences in some architecture. But everyone's still Instagramming their brunch. They're Instagramming their brunch. There's, there's. An, I was, I would name an artist on that music wise, but it would seriously date me, so I'm not going to. But the same music you hear in this, in, in that I heard in the states is pumped through the, the establishment now. Um, you know, everyone's using apps to, to get their stuff done. Everybody, you know, like it doesn't feel, um, materially different unless some of the places I've been, Bali feels different. Um, Long Pragong and Lao feels a little bit different. Some of those places that haven't adopted those, those systemic solutions and aren't watching each other constantly on, um, in a, in a networked way to where consensus builds in terms of how you're supposed to build, towns and cultures and behaviors and all that stuff. So that part's a little been a little shocking to me, just how um, homogeneous the world is becoming um, is a little frightening, uh, truly frightening yeah. to me as someone who doesn't like to feel like they're, they're participating in that. So um, yeah. So, I mean, on the other hand, um, the value systems, I think, um, still can be pretty different in different places. And so it's great to be in, like, you know, the helpfulness that you get in Southeast Asia, the focus on kids um, and, and you know, people stopping and kind of being kind to you, I would say happens in the United States, but you have to kind of get out of major metropolitan areas where the, the density, the stress density is way farther down on the scale. And then maybe you kind of run into a little bit of that, but um, that said, you also run into people going scared of people from the outside, whereas a lot of the places here are, you know, very pretty, pretty welcoming of that overall. Um, there's a line still, like in Bali, you, they'll let you get really far in, but at some point, if you're not Balinese, you don't get to kind of cross the line. Thailand's similar. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> I would say the line is maybe a little further out in the United States and some of the smaller, we have a small town home. So I'm speaking from experience where it's like, you know, uh, you're not from here, uh, comes out a little bit more loudly than I'd say in Southeast Asia. So there's some still some, you know, there's still differences, but, um, on the other hand, I've also learned that not owning things, um, and not being stationary for me, um, I get a tremendous joy out of that, um, 
traveling light. I mean, I came over here, I read everything on Reddit I could about like, you know, how to pack for being an expat for a year or longer. And no matter what I read, I didn't follow it. You know, I thought I was following it. And then I brought way too much stuff over. And now you just realize like healthcare, which is way cheaper and as good or better, um, material possessions that you have, you don't need the, you know, connectivity, all that stuff is everywhere. Like there's, there's abs, you know, this whole kind of mythology around, you're not going to be able to find it or you're not going to be able to do it, or it's not going to be as good as, as a trapping. That's absolutely uh, a myth. And so you get these places. I mean, we've had to go to the emergency room, uh, multiple times because not for huge emergencies, but like for, you know, kids falling and this and that and all that people getting sick and, you know, the care is like, under a hundred dollars and it's done in a super clean place by someone who's extremely good at what they do. And like, it's ridiculous that people tell themselves a story that like we have the best thing and the other people don't. Uh, I mean, this is a huge world filled with people who need healthcare. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean that whole, that whole part of it, um, not owning things and just making choices that are, you're, that's back to not participating in big, big systems, big pharma, big, you know, bank credit debt, owning huge houses, owning lots of shit, um, going into a job for somebody else and filling out your TPS report or whatever constantly, um, is not the life you have to do. You know, there's, I, I, I probably told, I've probably talked about this in the podcast before, but I remember like I've spent the majority of my adult life living outside of Canada in South America and mostly Asia. I remember one of the first times I came home after I'd started a business and you no, know, I was doing okay, not great, but okay. Uh, and I went back and I, you know, saw some old high school friends and that, and they had, you know, brand new trucks and nice house and all this stuff. And I was kind of getting down on myself thinking, well, I don't have these things. But then I remember like, oh, wait a minute, they don't own any of this. It's all debt. Everyone is swimming in debt. And then I had this moment, like just walking around this, you know, middle-class Canadian neighborhood, looking around at all the the shit that people had, you know, like vehicles in their driveway and all these, you know, fancy pools. But it's like, no one owns anything. Everyone is swimming in debt, or most people are just swimming in debt. And like, Debt freaks me out. I don't know what it is, but it just, it scares the hell out of me. I I paid off my student debt as quickly as I could, just like, and I sacrificed to do so because I just, I hate that hanging around your neck. And it seems like, particularly in North America, like just everyone just, you know, swimming in debt. It's the difference between accumulating objects and accumulating experiences. So, I mean, when you don't own a bunch of stuff and you're deciding to spend your money moving around or whatever you're accumulating tons of different experiences um when you're in the trap of debt and there's a lot of objects then you have to go into a work to to a job you have to behave a certain way and that is such a routine behavior that you know it's it's very everyone is doing it yeah and that routine when you're in a routine you can't time speeds up Mm. yeah um, the reason why when you walk someplace or you drive someplace and you're not sure where you're going, why it takes, seems like it's taking forever is because it's a new experience. Yeah. Whereas on the way back, it seems like it's way shorter. It's because you already know how long it really is going to take. And so you, your brain becomes distracted. You start thinking of other stuff. You're not really there anymore. And so it goes by really fast. I always think of, you know, you, you mentioned that you had an old music reference. I'm obsessed with old music. There's this Bob Seger lyric where he says, you know, 
20 years, man, where'd they go? 20 years, man, I don't know. I think about that lyric all the time, you know, just like how fast it can just all, right. I even just in my own life, the past 10 years, it's just, it's insane to me. You know, like. So yeah, I'd say like actually to put a headline on it, what's different about living this way that I'm living now versus before, my days are way longer. Yes. My time is way slower. Yeah. Um, I'm not in that routine washing machine to where time speeds by and 20 years go by. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what next week, I don't even know what a couple of days from now really looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's on my calendar. So, I mean, back to the entitled thing, though, I mean, some people may be listening to this and going, well, that's because you can do that. Yeah. Um, These conversations always risk sounding like two condescending yeah. assholes, like, oh, we've all got it, yeah. we've got it all figured out and our lives uh-huh. are perfect. <laughs> you know, those suckers back home, like, no. Not at all. Right. You know, you, your shit follows you around. Again, like we were talking about mm-hmm. beginning this, of this, uh, of Chat, this interview. Yeah. yeah. Like it never ends. It doesn't. We've all got our shit. We've all got our struggles. I'm still duking it out to figure out like money and this and that and all these different things. I'm just doing it not in an office. Um, and so I've made the decisions to, to, to not go into an office and, and I have accumulated enough skills to where I can provide those skills wherever I am. And I still do work and I still do all of that stuff and I'm doing it wherever I am. So, so I mean, I think if you want your life to, to last longer and you can't make these decisions, then start doing things, you know, drive home a different way, go and go to eat at a different place, have a different conversation with your spouse, have change up your office, like have an agreement that you're going to move to a, work from a coffee house that day. Or, I mean, things will, that's, that's how you slow things down a little bit. That's one thing I, uh, like when the more you change things up and get out of your routine, like you're right, the day becomes longer. I was just having this conversation yesterday. Uh, my lady friends off to a meditation retreat. It's the Vipassana thing, the 10 days. So you're, you're basically living like a monk, you know, no reading, no writing, no internet, no cell phone, nothing. You're meditating for, I think it's around 10 and a half or 11 hours a day. And if one of the things I told her is like, you have no idea how, how long a day is <laughs> until you're doing nothing. But a day feels like 10 years when you're doing that. It's so long, you know, and, and, you know, for you and I today will fly by because, you know, we're out doing things and we're distracted and stuff. But, you know, if you get out of your routine and you really do something different, it's, it's astonishing how long a day is, how long a week can be. You know? Well, back to being born into operating systems that aren't your own. I mean, what a day looks like is prescribed very early for for some for in different cultures but i mean in, in westernized cultures like you know even down to the calendaring software all your chats are one hour you're gonna have three meals your day starts around this time and ends around this time you're i mean think of how many things are already programmed into what a day looks what a day is supposed to look yeah. like and then you just fall into that and you're like yeah you're right like once i factor all those things and i have really and i've got kids and i've got a relationship i have no time I have no time. It's already gone. And then that week and that month and that year and that decade is gone. Yeah. 20 years. 20 <laughs> Where'd years. they go? Yeah. Um, coming back to something we were talking about earlier, long distance. Yeah. How the hell do you do it, man? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. A friend. Um, so. Like, how do you stay connected? How do you, I mean, even just speaking personally, like, how do you do it? Well, the first thing I think that I've learned is, is, is I mean, and this is a book everyone knows, and it's just a good common vocabulary book, and there's a lot of truth to it, which is that whole love languages book. So I think Gary Chapman, yeah, yeah, Gary the five Chapman. love languages. Mm-hmm. See, just pausing you for one minute, I've taken the test and everything, and I score like unordinarily high, abnormally high on um, 
physical touch, mm-hmm. right? So like actually being, you know, physically intimate with the person, not just sex, phys- right. just physical intimacy. Um, that's like my number one by a country mile. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where you stand, but so for me, it's, it's even more difficult in some ways to stay connected, to stay feeling good. Um, but what, I mean, how do you, yeah. I, I cut you off, go on. No, no, I was going to yeah. say that like, I mean, build on what you just said, which is that I think if that is your primary love language, a long distance relationship is the, that's when it's the hardest yeah. because you can't solve for that. Um, technology is not caught up to, right. to, to that extent. Yeah. 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 So for me, mine is a tie between physical touch and quality time. Um, for me, the way that we solve that is through, um, we use WhatsApp's voice, um, rec- voice messaging. Yeah where you can just record a message and then send it to somebody. And we do that instead of texting Mm. because we ran into lots of problems when we were texting each other being, because we had all that time being apart before we used WhatsApp, we would text each other. And as you know, the difference between, um, I love you and I love you and I love you. Um, I love you. Yeah. I love you (laughs) all has very different meanings and there's no, there's no way to hear that or the gentleness of it or, or any of it in a, in a sentence that you read on your phone. So we switched over and that would cause a lot of problems in a long distance. I mean, it'd be kind of like a quick update. The person was busy and then the person's feelings would get hurt or they'd feel disconnected. So we switched over to doing, um, vibrational communication through voice. And, um, and that's why people who are listening to this podcast are listening, you know, it's better than reading this. You want to hear yeah. the, the richness and intonation and, 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 um, and it's melody. so much more intimate, right? Yeah. Like it's not even com- comparable. Exactly. So that really changed the game for us in terms of long distance relationships and just, and we, we do that daily when we're not together. Um, and, uh, and so that keeps us connected. Um, the physical part, I mean, there's just no way, there's no shortcut as we talked about. And then, um, and, you know, and, and, and then, um, and then I guess the rest of it has to do with like how you structure things. I mean, for, for me, um, I have made no bones about the fact that I don't believe one person can give me everything. And I have different friends who give me different things. And so I feel kind of like loved by um, being with, and again, it's obviously not a sexual thing, but it's like I feel kind of um, satisfied. Um, my loneliness is satisfied when I'm sitting down and having a really long conversation with somebody because that's that works for me. Mm. Um, and so oftentimes what I'll do is, whether it's a guy or a girl or a woman or a man, um, I will, I will try to, you know, I'll sit down and have a really, really cool, intense conversation. And then I, f- I don't feel as lonely anymore when, when April's not around. Sure. So that works for me too. Um, yeah. So those are the kinds of things that we do. And then, um, and then some of the other things I mentioned before we do check-ins, is this working for us? Is this not, um, uh, you know, can we do a quick trip to see each other? Um, satisfy the physical aspects yeah of things. yeah i i really i really like the idea about the voice messages and i i've just thinking back times when i've done that um it does make a big difference it's a lot you feel a lot more connected actually yeah 
I think I'm going to implement that. <laughs> I, I like that idea a lot. Um, parenthood. Yeah. You have a delightful four-year-old. I do. Named Gray. Yes. Who is a lot of fun. Um, and very good-natured, it seems. I mean, yeah, like super, super cool little kid. Loves Lego. We have, <laughs> we have, Lego. We have that in common. Um, but what the hell is it like traveling with a four-year-old? Because... You know, I was thinking about this the other day, too. Like, in 2019, can you imagine travel 50 years ago? Like, world travel like this? Like, it must have been just orders of magnitude more difficult. I, I can't imagine without the internet, without all this connectivity, without... I mean, I, I, I really can't imagine. Um, and travel... But even in 2019, travel is still a massive pain in the ass sometimes, right? Like, you're, you know, facing that a little bit, planning this Japan trip... Um, you know, I've been on miserable car rides across beautiful Lao countrysides with, you know, someone blasting terrible Lao pop music for nine hours yeah. and overnight buses in India that took a day, uh, with Bollywood blaring in my ear and, you know, you're on this cliffside looking to your imminent death. Yeah. Um, especially in this part of the world, travel is still very difficult sometimes. Yeah. I mean, difficult is relative, you know, I wouldn't, you know talk about white people problems <laughs> that's that's one of them you know um but it's still it's still a real you know it's it's not easy sometimes you get worn down and you know it's a lot of work sometimes often more work than you planned for um but i can't imagine doing that with a with a four-year-old like what what's that like how do you do that well you 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 have to pick um you have to make certain sacrifices when you have kids and one of them for us anyway is um you know we when, for example, when we were in Bali, we uh, and we were in Bali for a couple months, um, and uh, everyone there—it's a scooter culture. There, there's really—I mean, there's cars, but everyone's on a scooter. And when we got there, we were like, "Okay, are we going to put Gray on a scooter? Um, he's four. Like, how, I've never driven a scooter. I'm not comfortable on a scooter. April doesn't know how to drive a scooter." Everyone, the rest of the scooter traffic is there's no rules. So I mean, there's really there's no traffic lights, there's no lanes, um, there's general concept of how things are just supposed to naturally flow, and it's a and people get hurt on scooters all the time, and so you know, uh, so we had that that to face. We had the fact that he got motion sickness really easily. Mm-hmm to face we had um yeah uh that getting around is logistically harder with bags and things and you know dietary things and all that other stuff you know if you have a four-year-old and all of a sudden you're thrust into a different diet um uh, they're kind of picky at, at that age some of them some some kids are so we end up just kind of going all right well what that then that means we're not going to do a scooter. We're going to rent a car, uh, or we're going to we're going to have a you know like an Ubery kind of a thing everywhere, um, which means it's going to take longer. Um, we're going to um, make him try new food, and if he's hungry, he'll eat and see how that works. We're going to um, uh, you know just you know realize that there's certain things that we might want to do that would be like um, fun for us. Uh, the two of us, but not so much great for a four-year-old if we wanted to go whitewater rafting or if we wanted to go, you know, trekking up and hiking for a couple hours or something like that. Like, there's a lot of stuff that having a kid just not 
naturally takes you out of the running to do. And that's, I think, whether you're traveling or not. Once you have a kid, you just go, well, you know, I'm not going to be staying up late watching Netflix anymore because I have to have sleep because otherwise I'll go crazy and I have a kid who's going to wake up in the middle of the night, so I'm not doing that anymore. So there's just like, I think you get into a natural rhythm of going, life is different now for a period of time. It's not forever especially when they're really young, where you just let go of a lot of your own stuff and you start going, okay, now I have to kind of put it within this framework. So that's what we would do. I mean, when we're traveling around, um, even when we lived in, so we lived in Mill Valley in California, which is just north of San Francisco, and there's really windy roads out to Stinson Beach. And we would go, well, we're not going to Stinson Beach because he's going to get car sick. Or April steals all the puke bags on planes and keeps him with her so that if we land someplace and we don't know the roads and he's going to get car sick, she's got a bag there and she's prepared mm. um, uh, in case he gets sick from some driver in, you know, Hoi An, Vietnam, who's going through the mountains to get to some other place. So we try to make decisions where we're taking away the option, things we know that are going to be a challenge, yeah. and then just kind of try to be prepared in the meantime, I guess. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I guess related question, something I was wondering about is, so you said you have, you have two uh, older boys from your first marriage and then you have gray who's four, right? Yep. Like what that must be like, it's a really interesting opportunity. And I, I imagine it's one that's not afforded to a lot of people where there's such a big gap between kids mm-hmm. And it's like you get a, not like you get a, another shot at it because, you know, it's not like you're done parenting your first two sons. Um, but in a way, it, it kind of is that way, you know, in a certain sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I guess I'm really curious about, and I, this is probably an enormous question, but like what you, what you learned about <laughs> parenting the first time around and more specifically, like, what are you doing differently with gray perhaps that you didn't do the first time? Well, yeah. Um, the first time I was as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I was focused on checking the boxes of things. And so I was very focused on my career. I was very focused on everything except parenting. Um, so I was not very present. I was kind of, I was unhappy in a lot of, in most of the, the, um, vectors of my, um, of my life. I didn't really love my marriage. I didn't really love my job. I didn't really love myself. I didn't really love a lot of those things. And, um, I was acquiring a lot of material, things and so I would and I didn't yeah so all of those things means I was a certain kind of and I was in my what uh I was I was your age actually I was um early 30s so um so I really uh I had my first kid when I was what 28 and then 30 so I really didn't know a lot about what was important to me so I wasn't really present in the same way so yes it is an opportunity to um to be different in those parts of your life. I did the best I could, just like everybody's parents for the most part. Um, but it wasn't uh, like we were talking about before in, in when we're talking about motorcycles. You just make a lot of mistakes and then you just kind of figure out what is going to work. And so you make mistakes with the first kid. You're a little bit better with the second kid. If you keep having kids, you get better and better and better at parenting. In my case, there's this huge gap. And frankly, I didn't want to have more kids. When I got married, the agreement was to not have more kids. And um, it became a real um, 
the, probably the hardest part, one of the hardest moments of my life was like, what am I going to do here? Because I had three choices. Have kids and potentially be resentful about how it affected my life. Don't have kids and then be, have a wife who's very resentful for not being having the opportunity to have family of her own, of her own you know, yeah. biologically. Um, although she raised a lot of Daniel and Mason when they were my older two when they were growing up. Um, also, but just it's different. So resent resentment there or like leave the relationship. Those were kind of the options. So I kind of went into it kicking and screaming actually. Um, and it was a very, and, and, and I did have a lot of resentment uh, in the beginning when I had gray because I felt like shit, man, I'm back starting. It's like going all the way through school and getting to college and graduating college to go out into the world and then going, wait, go back to kindergarten again. And that's what it felt like. And so it was an existential crisis for me. And, um, but, but then I, but then I think since then, because I had those hard relationships with April, because I said, I want to restructure, you know, I want to just do things super, super, super differently. Um, this time and and it was and that was working because i was a different person and i'm now like raising gray with a lot of different value sets than i had the first time it is a fundamentally different experience i'm way more chill um i really because my days are longer and i'm focused in different ways i'm actually present with gray uh april was just in morocco for a couple weeks and i just spent a couple weeks with gray and it was just the two of us and like honestly i would go to bed at the end of the day, just thanking the universe for the day. And the fact I had that opportunity, um, everything's quieted down and we're just like actually present with each other. I'm not distracted by anything else. And so I'm enjoying it almost. I mean, maybe the way grandparents and I'm, I'm a way older dad this time too. So almost like the way a grandparent would, um, enjoy their grandkid, um, because they're old enough to know, that Jesus, there's not much more important than this, um, and and so I, I I have a serious appreciation for Gray and for being a dad again. Um, yeah, is so. It seems like one of the main things you're doing differently is how you approach uh, education mm, yeah. with your kids. So you mentioned unschooling earlier. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about that, but what what is unschooling? Yeah. Unschooling is pretty radical. So. It's it's a it's a um, it's within the category of homeschooling, but it's not it's not actually homeschooling. So there's schooling, which is an education system, which, in my opinion, having been through that education system, is a little bit like a Plato template, right? Where we, we get squeezed into this is what all of this stuff looks like. This is what you're supposed to learn. This is how to answer questions. It served the industrial revolution very well, very well, very well. But in the 21st century, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty antiquated. In some it ways. runs the operating system for the most part. Yeah. Um, so we all get through that with a bunch of false promises of like, we're going to get a great job and we're going to like, there's a lot of mythology around it. Um, and it teaches you to be a great follower, um, to make that system run. But I found it to be, um, this is a great book, by the way, that is related, uh, that people should read, called Different by Young Mi Moon, who's a professor at Harvard who talks about one of the parts, it's really about kind of differentiation in the business world. But one of the things she talks about in that book is how teachers would get so, and often get very disheartened by taking these kids 
who are filled with this incredible energy and imagination and passion and to, to learn and to be themselves and to express themselves and then have to push them through the standardization machine and how, you know, they read these papers from kids and, you know, everyone ends up sounding, it's the same paper from all these kids because everything's so standardized and how, how hard that is for teachers too. And one teacher in there was decided to get rid of that and just give kids this open-ended, like, you know, do a project and it had no structure to it. And how interesting of an experiment that was where some kids, obviously, there was an absolute failure. They had a hard time with it, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole other conversation about maybe why. But other kids came in with the most creative, passionate, interesting kind of work. Um, anyway, so if you believe that the education system has those problems, then there are other options. One is, yes, you can homeschool. So homeschooling, what's the difference between homeschooling and education system? Actually, nothing other than you're not going into a brick and mortar place to do it. So what happens is you still have lesson plans. It's still standardized tests and courses and all that stuff. Unschooling is, um, <laughs> is the absence of standardized curricula. Uh, and instead, it's replaced with a um, um, attention on topics between you and your kid. So, for example, if your kid gets super into skateboarding, um, you could um, look things up on Google, talk about the science of it, talk about, show them stuff on it, draw pictures of it, take them, sign them up with a um, person that that's a former skateboard professional skateboard person who teaches like classes. geometry lessons geometry in there, in there. Yeah. yeah and then you just kind of go on that for a while until and kind of research it that's what gray always said can we research that he always wants to research things that's what he thinks of this he's four and a half so you actually would not really he'd be starting school this coming fall um, but so far we've already started this with him. And so we always do these research projects, which are like, you know, walk through the backyard, pick up things he's interested in and then go look it up. Um, pretty thing, cool that a four year old is so dedicated to research. Yeah. He's super into it. And <laughs> it's cool. because he, I think people naturally have curiosity. Sure. Um, we're curious about the world around us. So it's, this is about taking his curiosity. I can already hear all the, cause I've done so much work in this myself. I know, I know what all the follow up questions are on this. What about this? What about that? Um, but it's it's taking things people are naturally curious about and then building around the, the natural curiosities people have um, with as much uh, outside help and self-directed help as possible so that they follow their own interests. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are... Uh, then there's things like, well, what about math and reading and blah, blah, and all the stuff that people have to learn? And what about socialization and all that stuff? So let me talk this about... This is a really inter easy interview. I can just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say anything. Yeah. Um, socialization. So... Uh, That's the one for me. Like, when you yeah. were first talking to me about this, like, mm -hmm. I'm totally on board with everything else, but I just, you know, I think... Yeah, that is so crucial for kids. So how do you... I think we've talked a little bit about this, but how do you approach that with Gray? Well, first let's talk about what socialization actually is in schools. And then we'll talk about what socialization is in unschooling. So socialization in schools, we've all been to school. So what was it? We were put into a room with a bunch of people we didn't choose and had to be sit in rows and... Um, shut up yeah and then we got to socialize 
um, when we would go out to recess or in, in before or after, right? And there's plenty of other kids around uh, or at lunch. And, um, and that was socialization in schools. Um, socialization for Gray, I mean, you've met him. He's extremely social. Yes. Um, so he um, not not shy like not like because I my experience of kids that age is they take a while to warm up to you and they and Gray just can't wait to invite me over to his right house. he wants to sit next to you yeah, he yeah, wants yeah. to tell you Extremely things social, yeah. so how does he spend his days well he spends his days um, first of all moving around into all these different locations um, that we're moving around to in days that are not the same every single day. He's out because we don't sit inside all day long. We're actually moving around. He's faced with socializing with tons of different people all day long. That's why he has no fear of talking to adults. Mm -hmm. He talks to adults all the time and he finds kids all the time too. When he's like a couple days ago, we were down here in um, one Neiman um, and there's an open area and they were playing live music and he found a bunch of kids and um, was jumping in and playing with them and, uh, April signs him up for some art classes and for some skateboard. The skateboarding thing is really one of his interests, and so he, you know, he he's he's around plenty of kids and and plays um, after school in quotes with lots and lots of kids um, all the time. And so he's socializing both with adults and kids, and he is he's not missing anything right now at four and a half, where socialization is an issue for him. He's 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 thrust into the world. Mm. Um, the thing about uns- our approach to unschooling is, is that he has a voice in this. It's not something we're going to force him through. So at some point, and we know other unschooling parents, at some point some kids go, I, w- I feel like I'm missing out on being in school because everybody else is in school. Mm. <laughs> um, and if he feels like he wants to go do that, we're going to let him do that because he he wants to do it. And some kids continue that way and they just elect themselves into it from from an unschooling perspective and some kids try it and go wow this is everything you said it is or, or everything that i feel like it is which is like not for me i'd rather go back to doing things the way it was before and we know ki- families in fact our doula uh, who who helped deliver gray um has i think like an 18 year old a 14 year old and an 11 year old all of which have never been to school before um and they like they're going on. I mean, the eighteen-year-old's going on to a fantastic school. Who looked at that whole opportunity, the whole kind of upbringing, as like an amazing differentiator, and what a, an amazing education being able to move around and have this kind of a, of a quote-unquote education, just learning this way. So, I mean, it, it's it's a different way to bring up your kids, and it doesn't follow the system. And much like love and healthcare and education and entertainment and you know, spirituality, all these things that are not part of the system automatically get. Um, kind of pooped on by, by by people who find who don't want to sacrifice their own identity as upholding that system, so they're going to poop on that idea. Uh, and there's other people who maybe don't find their identity in in those systems, and they go like, "Wow, that's really cool," um, or "It's not for me, but I appreciate it." And so we're just going to test it. We can't break him. Mm. Um, <laughs> He's not going to miss out on anything in life. He's had already a fundamentally different experience in life than the first two kids that um, we had uh, and that we're raising. And and frankly, their feedback has been like, "Oh my God, this is super cool that you're doing this." Like, and they're you know they're still in systems, they're in college, yeah. uh, and they're like, well, "So cool, you know, so cool that you're doing it." Yeah. 
it's not for everybody. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, just kind of putting a bow tie or putting a bow in this conversation. Is that the expression? Putting a bow on this? I don't know. Yeah, put a bow on it. Yeah. Um, put a bird on it. I, I'm always like to ask people like you, what, what are you, well, are, are you finding what you're looking for when you set out on this, this particular journey, you know, leaving the States and stuff? Uh, and what are you most excited by or inspired by right now? So once I shortened my horizon to um, maybe a month or less, I am finding what I'm looking for. I think it's when I put the horizon out on like impossibly huge, uh, like less sprints and more like marathon oriented topics. That's where I would always get frustrated, but I shortened my time frame. Like, hey, I'm just going to do this for a month, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then it gets a lot more satisfying um, because you're like, well, that didn't work. Um, or, th- or here's what I learned or that worked out great. So I am finding what I'm looking for once I shortened my horizon. And the decisions are a lot more, a lot less risk that way. Right. right? Yeah. It feels, you know, when you look backwards, you go like, wow, I did a whole lot. That was really cool. But you're just, just biting off a lot less, a lot, lot less. Um, and just, yeah, thin slices instead of the entire thing. So, yes, I'm finding what I'm looking for because my, my looking for is short range. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the second question? What are you most excited, most excited about, about or inspired by right now? Just in general, in your life. Yeah, I guess I'm... Frankly, the thing I'm most excited about is I'm proud... In the past, I've rearranged furniture and, and thought that was change. So I would, I would feel like, oh, I'm unhappy, so... Time for a new futon. Time for a new futon, new this, new that, new that. And I would rush to... Um, to those answers because I, it's so scary. Not your brain wants an answer; it does not want the unknown. Yeah. So what I'm most excited about is that I've entered into a f- almost five month at this point um, period, and so far it looks like it'll be considerably longer than that. Where I've gotten com- somewhat comfortable, a lot more comfortable, um, with not putting a cherry on everything and being in a space where I can listen and not have answers. And I'm not looking out the same window every single day, physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking out at things differently every single day and I'm not rushing to to complete anything. I'm most excited about that because I want to see, um, where that leads. Um, and I know it's not a forever place for me. I will end up, um, becoming some version of a more stationary um, reality, but it will only be after I've had an opportunity to to let the endings end that I really want to end and be in a space of neutrality for long enough to where the things that I begin, I've chosen back to the Voltarian uh, analogy of putting those things in my garden on on purpose. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I really like the way you you wrap that up. So the last thing I'll, I'll ask you, I like to do this corny exercise, but I think, I think it's fun. I'm always curious what people say. I'm going to ask you to complete these sentences with the first things that come to mind. Okay, pork. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Lunch, don't worry. Lunch is coming. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, we can get pork too. I think it's fun. Um, let me see if I knew them from memory. Right. The trait I am most attracted to in the opposite sex is? Risk. Risk. Interesting. Can you just talk about that a little bit? I, I have to pause. <laughs> Why risk? Um... If someone, if someone, because that generally signals somebody who is willing to 
to go against yeah yeah exactly um and so they're going to be they're going to be deviators because they deviate from norms uh social norms or cultural you know whatever the cultural norms are beliefs or whatever so they're going to risk something um and if you're willing to risk something to me that shows a level of confidence and courage and um um passion that is very attractive to me so whenever i find especially i mean i'm I'm um, heterosexual, um, so I'm attracted. How dare you? To, I know, I know, I know. I'm cisgendered uh, and heterosexual, so I, um, I, 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 I love um, women. Uh, that's what I'm attracted to is women. Amen, brother. Yeah, I do, and um, I love, um, I love women who who risk stepping out of what a woman is supposed to be based on other people's definitions mm-hmm. of what a woman is supposed to be. Um, and that can be anything. It can be a woman who is like super career minded and very successful and that, and that's not okay in some cultures. It can be women who, um, celebrate their sexuality in a way that is not okay in some cultures. It can be women who have drastic different, uh, drastically different, um, perspectives on child rearing or, or whatever it is, or just opinions on, on things that are not okay, especially for women to have, that is very attractive to me. I might not agree with them, but I, at least am a, and I may not, I'm definitely likely to not be sexually attracted to them, but I am attracted to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the thing that I just, I really admire in people, men, male or female, is just people who are very true to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's like a stay-at-home mom who really loves being a stay-at-home mom and she's all in and she's doing it not because society or her husband or anything. It's like, that's what she wants. That's, you know, she's, that, I, that, I find that, yeah, attractive in friends, attractive. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing we were talking about earlier about, I don't care what someone's passionate about, but like, as long as they're passionate about something, I'm really drawn to people right. like that. If, right. Even if it's something I have no interest in, I have, you know, I know nothing about the fact that they're really into something. I just, I always gravitate to people like that. Um, okay. So two more sentences. Uh, I would most like to be remembered as, um, I think I'd be, I think the answer to that is, um, Someone who changed themselves. Hmm. Love is tough. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Amen. Um, Well, this was a blast. Thanks a lot for this. Yeah, Zach, I appreciate you inviting me to do this. It's been a lot of fun. Great. (laughs) That's great. I love that the note we closed on. That's There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed another conversation with Sam Lawrence. If you'd like to learn more about Sam and connect with him, reach out. Please go to humansinlove.com where you'll find show notes, uh, links to everything we talked about. And you'll also find a link which will tell you how to leave a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. I'll remind you one more time that if you dig the show, please take a minute to go to iTunes or your podcast app of choice, leave a rating and a review. That's all for now. I'll talk to you again very soon. I'm going to go find a nice glass of wine and a place to warm up. 
Uh, Thanks for listening as always. And until next time, remember that life is short, far too short to not wear a heavy sweater when you're in Canada. (laughs) Thanks for listening, friends. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.